Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Well, welcome back to the podcast. We are working our way through the book of Acts in our BAC reading plan. And this week we are reading chapters 7 through 11 in the book of Acts. But first, I want to start with a story. Now, this is a, a 100% true story. Some of you might even remember this. This is the story of Lawn Chair Larry. Lawn Chair Larry. So it's July 1982, and a guy named Larry Walters decides to buy 45 weather balloons. Now, these aren't your average party balloons. Okay, we're talking weather balloons. These things are, are massive. And he buys 45 of them. Why, you ask? Well, because he decides to strap them to his lawn chair. So Larry straps these balloons to his lawn chair. He gets a, a peanut butter sandwich, a drink, and a pellet gun. And then he straps himself to the chair. And then his friends cut the strap holding his, his chair down. Now, Larry is expecting to float up maybe 100 feet or so and kind of just get a good view of of the the landscape and and have a a nice leisurely afternoon. And then what he was going to do, he's going to shoot the balloons with his pellet gun and lazily make his way back down to the ground. But what actually happened? Well, his friends cut the strap, holding his chair down, and he rockets up to 16,000 feet. Yes, 16,000 feet. And he's actually spotted by two different commercial jets. (laughs) Can you imagine that? You're flying a plane and then all of a sudden you have to radio in that, yeah, we're at uh, 16,000 feet and we've got a guy here uh, floating around in a lawn chair holding a gun. (laughs) So anyway, Larry is freezing because at this height, at this elevation, the, the air is extremely cold. And he's, he's scared to shoot the balloons because he doesn't want his chair to become unbalanced and to tip over. So eventually he works up the courage and he shoots some of the balloons. He starts to carefully shoot a few of them and he slowly starts to make his way back down. And eventually his cables holding his balloons get caught in power lines, which by the way, he ends up breaking the power lines and causes a, a brief power outage. <laughs> this whole situation was just a mess. And then he, he lands safely on the ground. And, of course, he became a a media sensation. So reporters are interviewing him. They're asking him, why did you do this, right? What prompted you to want to do this? And do you know what he said? Do you know what his response was? He said, I just got tired of sitting around. No joke. That's what he said. I just got tired of sitting around. Now, I I know that's a a ridiculous story. It's a true story, but it's, it's a silly story. But I think that many people in the church today feel the same way as Lawn Chair Larry. We're bored. We're tired of just sitting around. We feel like we're supposed to be doing something bigger than we are, but we just don't know what it is. So I want to show us that this feeling that we have, this feeling of of boredom and inaction, it largely stems from an inaccurate view of what the church is supposed to be. All right, so again, we're reading Acts chapters 7 through 11 this week. 
And there's a lot going on in these in these chapters. We've got Saul's conversion here. We'll talk a little bit about that. But first, I want to point out a couple of verses that I think are often overlooked in this section of the book of Acts. So if you go to chapter 8, verse 1, it says, On that day a, se- a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Notice it says, all except the apostles. So you've got this persecution breaking out against Christians, against the church, and the apostles are holding down the fort in Jerusalem. But pretty much everybody else scatters. Then look what it says in chapter 8, verse 4. It says, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. I love this. Their first response, these Christians' first response, even as they are fleeing persecution, is to spread the gospel. Are we that gospel-centered in our lives? And I say that to myself as well. Okay, I'm not excluding myself from this question. But are, are we that gospel-centered? If a, if a persecution broke out in Temperance, Michigan or Monroe County, Michigan, would we stand strong? And on top of that, if we were forced to flee, would we be spreading the gospel as we went? Well, then we jump ahead in the book of Acts to chapter 11, verse 19, and we pick up on this thread again. It says, now those who had been scattered as a result of persecution, so this is the same group of people we were just talking about, they made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So here's what I want you to see from this. The first people to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem, because remember the gospel started in Jerusalem where Jesus was killed, the first people to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem were not the apostles. It says here clearly that everyone scattered except the apostles. So the gospel first spreads outside of Jerusalem through ordinary, unnamed disciples. And they take the gospel all the way to Antioch, which you may know later becomes Paul's missionary base for most of his mission's work. These unnamed disciples, they laid the groundwork for Paul to later do his incredible missionary work. Now, why do I share this with you? Well, when we think about missions work and the gospel spreading, especially in the early church, who do we usually think about? The apostles, especially Paul. And of course, these men played a crucial role. I'm not denying that. But sometimes we tend to view these apostles like they're super believers or or superhumans. We think, well, you know, Paul shared the gospel with people, but I could never do that. We think of the apostles almost like they're in this separate category in our minds. And I think we tend to do this today as well. We say, well, pastors and and missionaries, they do the work of ministry. I'll just help support them, but I'm going to let the quote-unquote professionals handle the rest. But that is not a biblical mindset as we are seeing here in the book of Acts. That's not how the church is supposed to operate. We see here in the book of Acts that ordinary, unnamed believers are spreading the gospel. They all played a role. It wasn't just sitting around watching the apostles do the work. And actually, in this case, it was the opposite. The apostles were at home and everyone else was out spreading the gospels. Now, I I know this is outside of our reading plan, but in Ephesians 4, it says the role of pastors and leaders and elders is to equip the saints 
for the work of ministry. We see this being lived out in this passage. The apostles definitely played a role in equipping the saints. But then the saints are the ones who go out and take the gospel. They spread the gospel outside of Jerusalem. So what I want us to see is that all of us have a role to play in advancing God's kingdom. It's not just the pastors, the elders, the missionaries, what have you. It's all of us. And I think with that, many of us need to rethink how we view the church. But we're going to come back to that. First, I want to quickly talk about the conversion of Saul. Now, the first thing I want to get out of the way, this is kind of a a common misconception. It's not especially important, but just something I wanted to, to get out of the way. Many people think that Saul's name was changed to Paul at his conversion. Well, that's not actually true. Now, there are examples in Scripture of where God will will change somebody's name. For example, Abram to Abraham or Jacob to Israel. But this isn't one of those cases. So if you look in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, keep in mind this is already after Saul's conversion. The Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So again, this is after his conversion. God is still calling him Saul. And then a few verses later, in chapter 13, verse 9, it says, Saul also called Paul. So it wasn't that Saul's name was changed. He was referred to by two different names. And and dual names like this were pretty common in the ancient world. For example, the, the disciple that we know as Matthew also is called Levi. It was common to have two different names. So for Saul, Saul was his Jewish name. It was was a tribute to his Jewish heritage. And we see it being used when he's in and around Jerusalem especially. But then as he sets out on his missionary journeys and he gets away from Jerusalem and he goes throughout the Roman Empire, he goes by his Roman name, Paul. Okay, so that's all it is. I just wanted to clear that up. This isn't a crucial thing to know. But just know that we can kind of use Saul and Paul interchangeably. Now, getting back to Saul's conversion, Saul affirms Stephen's death in chapter 7. Stephen is stoned to death in chapter 7, and Saul is there approving it. Then at the beginning of chapter 8, Saul is literally going house to house, dragging off Christians and having them thrown into prison. But what I want you to understand is that Saul, he thought he was doing the right thing. If you remember in the Old Testament, Israel was meant to be separate and distinct from the nations. They were supposed to be a a light to the world. They were supposed to be an example to the nations of here's what it looks like to live under God's rule. So to protect them from falling into the idolatry and and the ways of the surrounding nations, God gave them laws to, to protect them and to keep them separate. And this is what many of the the food laws and the ceremonial laws that we see in the Old Testament are about. Basically, what God is doing is saying, the nations eat this. Well, you're not going to eat that. You're going to eat this instead. The nations dress this way. You're going to dress this way. You're going to be separate. You're going to be distinct. And this is where some of these laws that we think are especially bizarre come in. They're about keeping Israel separate. But unfortunately, even with these laws, Israel still repeatedly falls into the ways of the the nations. They become polluted. They fall into idolatry. So for someone like young Saul in the first century, he was passionate about making sure 
that didn't happen anymore or happen again. He wanted to do anything he could to protect the distinct laws and traditions of the Jewish people. So when Christians come along and they start proclaiming a gospel that says that the law is no longer binding, he's upset. And he's going to do whatever it takes to protect what he thinks is, is true, to protect his faith. He thinks he's doing the right thing until he has a miraculous encounter with Jesus. Now, notice in, in chapter 9 that Saul isn't converted right on the spot when he meets Jesus, when he has this vision of Jesus. Jesus tells him, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And then in the meantime, God appears to a guy in Damascus, the city, named Ananias. And God tells Ananias to go lay his hands on Saul. Now, put yourself in, in Ananias' shoes here. Okay? Saul is someone who's going house to house, arresting Christians and having them killed. And God goes, yeah, I want you to go pray with him. Can you imagine that? Imagine if, if you were called to share the gospel with somebody who was openly an enemy of Christianity, somebody who was known for killing Christians. How would you react? Well, you can see Ananias' hesitation in how he responds. He reminds God, basically saying, uh, you know who this guy is, right, God? And God says, uh, yeah, I do. This man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. So Ananias obeys, and he goes, he prays with Saul, he lays his hands on him, and something like scales fall from Saul's eyes, and he becomes saved. Saul becomes a Christian. So what do I want us to see here through this? Well, I want us to see a couple things. One, understand that only God can change hearts. Ananias, he's just the messenger here. And that's all that God wants us to be. Our obedience isn't based on results. All we can do is, is be faithful to sharing the message. We have to leave the results up to God. Because we never know how God is, is moving behind the scenes in someone's life. Only God can change hearts. Isn't it comforting to know that evangelism isn't based on our skill, but on God's sovereignty? Let me say that again. Evangelism isn't based on our skill, but on God's sovereignty. The fact that he is in control and only he can change hearts. So we need to leave the results up to God. We are just the messenger. Ananias was, was rightfully terrified to talk to Saul, but little did he know that God had already been at work in Saul's heart. So all we can do is be faithful to share the message, to share the gospel, and leave the results up to God. Now, the second thing I want us to see here is that we're to take the gospel to all people, all people. If there was ever anyone that you would have looked at and said, he'll never become a Christian, Saul would have been it because he wasn't just a, a non-Christian. He was an enemy of Christianity. Do you know anyone like that in your life? Someone who wasn't just a, a non-believer, but somebody who openly criticizes Christianity? But what I want us to understand is that sometimes the biggest enemies of Christianity can become its biggest proponent. And another thing you're going to see in these chapters is, is the overall tension between Jews and Gentiles. You're going to see that there's, there's hesitation amongst the, the believing Jews when the gospel starts going to the Gentiles. Because they're, they're stuck in an Old Testament mindset 
where the Jews were supposed to be kept separate, kept unique. But Jesus knocks down those walls. There's no longer Jew and Gentile in the family of God. Now we're all part of one family. Understand that in the Old Testament, Israel had kind of what I call a a come and see faith. They operated somewhat like a magnet where other people would see that something was different about them. And then they would come to know God by being included in the people of, of Israel. And we see this happens numerous times in scripture. For example, Ruth is a Moabite who becomes included in the people of Israel and becomes an ancestor of, of David. But then in the New Testament, Jesus says, not come and see, but go and tell. Go and tell. Now we are being sent out. We are to take the gospel to all people, regardless of race or background, regardless of, of whether they're an enemy of Christianity like Saul. And it's often scary, like it was for Ananias. But all we can do is be faithful in sharing the message and leave the results up to God. Again, evangelism is not based on our skill, but on God's sovereignty. So bringing this full circle with what we've talked about earlier. Remember, we all have a part to play in advancing God's kingdom. So here's here's the big takeaway today. All of us are to take the gospel to all people. All of us are to take the gospel to all people. But here's the problem. This often isn't happening in the church today, and I mean that in a broad sense, talking about the church as a whole. Studies actually show that somewhere around 90% of evangelical Christians have never shared their faith with anyone outside of their family. 90%. It kind of makes you wonder how we can call ourselves evangelical. And only about 20% of churches in America are growing, and even worse— Only about 1% of churches are actually growing by reaching lost people. The rest of the churches grow by simply reshuffling existing Christians around from one church to another. But that's not the mission that Jesus gave us. So why are we doing so poorly in the mission that Jesus has given us to take the gospel to all the world, to make disciples of all nations? And like I mentioned earlier, Why are so many Christians sitting around bored, not sure what to do, when there's so much to be done? Well, I'm convinced that many of us have a fundamentally incorrect view of what the church should be. So I want to use an illustration to show this. This was an illustration that I heard from from J.D. Greer, Pastor J.D. Greer. And to understand this, I want you to think of the church like a ship. Okay, like a ship. Now, some Christians view the church like a cruise liner where the church is supposed to offer luxuries for the entire family, sports and entertainment and childcare and, and food, and people show up asking, does this fit my preferences? Am I entertained? Do I like the music? And guess what? If their particular cruise liner ever fails to tailor to their desires, guess what? They're going to go to the next one in the harbor. They're going to go find the next cruise liner because it's all about comfort and personal preference and entertainment. That's one view of the church, the cruise liner church. Other Christians view the church like a battleship. Now, this is an improvement. The church here is made for battle, made for a mission. But this view sees the church institution itself as doing most of the fighting. 
And too often, the pastors and the leaders and the elders, they're the only guns in the fight. So the rest of the crew, they kind of just hand the the ammunition to the pastors to do the fighting. The church members kind of think that they can just pay the pastors, you do the work, and we'll just support you. That's still not a biblical view of the church. That's not what we see in the book of Acts. What we see in the book of Acts is the church acting more like an aircraft carrier. An aircraft carrier's role is certainly not to entertain. And it also actually doesn't go directly into battle. What does it do? It equips an entire fleet of planes to go directly into battle. The role of the church is to equip individual believers, and then those individual believers scatter, like in the book of Acts. They take the gospel everywhere they go. We scatter every week when we go to our our workplaces, our schools, our families, etc., The church isn't a cruise liner. It's not a battleship. It's an aircraft carrier. We all have a role to play. The church equips individual believers to go into battle. We're all to take the gospel to all people everywhere we go. Why are are so many Christians today bored? Because we're not meant to just sit around on a proverbial cruise liner and be entertained. We know that we have a mission. We know that each of us has purpose. You are meant for battle, for spiritual battle. You have a mission, a purpose. But how do we start to live this out? Right? Because it sounds great to talk about all of this, but what do we actually do? I think sometimes when it comes to sharing the gospel, we just don't even know where to start. But a simple question that we like to ask at at Bedford Alliance and and that I'll present to you is, who's your one? Who's your one? Who's one unsaved person, or at least somebody who's, who's far from the Lord, who you can be intentional about investing in? Just think of one person. Okay, sometimes when, when we think about sharing the gospel, we get caught up in sharing these statistics and how dire things are throughout the world. And so we start thinking in terms of how can we change the world? But don't worry about changing the world. That's God's job. That's not your job. Let's just start with one person. Pick one person and then think of one step that you can take to start helping that person move toward Christ. Maybe it's praying for him or her daily. Maybe it's being intentional about spending time with that person and and building a deeper friendship with him or her. And ultimately, we want to look for opportunities to invite that person into a relationship with Christ. And I know it can be scary, but remember, all we can do is be faithful to share the message. The results are up to God. We're just the messenger. And your one person might be somebody that you can't even imagine coming to Christ right now. But guess what? Nobody could have imagined that Saul would one day write 13 books of the New Testament and take the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. We never know how God is working in people's hearts behind the scenes. God is the one who changes hearts. So who's your one? How can you start praying and investing in that one person today? Remember, the church is not for entertainment. It's not for you to just sit around and and watch others do the work. 
We all have a purpose. You have a purpose. All of us are to take the gospel to all people. So let's start living for that purpose. Let's live to advance God's kingdom to the ends of the earth for his glory.